so we are beginning a new collection of talks and sermons called When God Asks. When God Asks. And um, a lot of times we talk about what God says, right? The things that God says to us or the things that God commands us to do. But we often don't really focus on the questions that God may ask of us, right? God says things to us, God commands things to us, but also in Scripture we see this rich um, tradition of the ways in which God puts questions to God's people. And so um, I think about a lot of times when we talk about what God says and what God commands, it's not often in a very engaging way. It's more of God is telling you to do this, so do it, behave, right? But there are really times in Scripture where we see that God is having conversation and engaging with the people of God. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to explore passages in Scripture that really um, illumine where God and Jesus in the Gospels ask questions of his followers. Now, these questions are not just for informational purposes, right? These questions are more so for spiritual transformation. And I think the series is probably going to be a challenge for a lot of us because we like black and white answers. We like certainty, particularly when it comes to faith. But what we will see over the course of this series is that these questions will challenge us to take a hard look within ourselves and to do something about what we've been asked. And that is not as cut and dry as it always seems. And so today I want to begin, before I look at my primary text, I want to set up the first character that we have today and the first question that is put to him. So Elijah, who was one of the most formidable prophets of God in the Old Testament, he had to face this reality of getting a hard question put to him, having to look within, and then having to do something about it. God asked Elijah, what are you doing here? And we're going to get to that in our text today. What are you doing here? So just to set it up, 1 Kings chapter 19, before we read it. Elijah is a prophet of God under the King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And King Ahab marries Jezebel, and they pretty much do away with the worship of Yahweh, the God of Israel. And they begin to worship this God, Baal, or Baal, it could also be pronounced. And... Um, Baal has these prophets as well, right? People come in the name of Baal and say that they can prophesy on behalf of Baal. And what ends up happening is that Jezebel and Ahab pretty much instruct the prophets of Baal or give them permission, really, to slaughter all the prophets of Yahweh, of God. And so what Elijah decides to do is to have a prophet competition, a prophet off, if you will, right? And so he says, listen, bring your best, bring them out. Let's see what they can do. And then I'll call my God, and we'll see where this thing ends up. And so these prophets of Baal come out, and they just do a lot of screaming, a lot of shouting. They mutilate themselves, all of this wild things, right? And nothing happens. Baal doesn't show up. And then Elijah was like, all right, that's cute, oh, right? And he gets up, and he does these wonders in the name of God and pretty much wipes out the prophets of Baal. Now, as you could imagine... <laughs> Jezebel and Ahab are not thrilled by this. And so Je uh, Jezebel commits to taking Elijah's life. And this is where we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 3 to 14. It reads, Then Elijah was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. But Elijah went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a solitary broom tree 
He asked that he might die. Is it enough now, O Lord? Take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. And suddenly, an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and he drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. At that place, he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I am left alone, and they are seeking to take my life, to take it away. The word of the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now, there was a great wind, so strong that the splitting mountains and breaking rocks and pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of Sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars. And killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. and They are seeking my life to take it away. So there are some parallels here going on with another figure in the Old Testament, Moses. Um, if you remember, Moses goes 40 days and 40 nights up to the Mount to Sinai. And he goes up to this mountain to have this powerful encounter with God multiple times. And Elijah, just like Moses, covered himself as the presence of God passed by, just like in the Exodus narrative. And what we also see is that in the wind and the earthquake and the fire, these were all also symbols and signs of the ways in which God's people were being led in Moses' time. And we see these things reappearing again. And later in the Gospels, Through the transfiguration, when Jesus goes up to pray, we see that Moses and Elijah appear, right? So so clearly, they're drawing a parallel here that this is a very important guy, and this is a very important moment in this time. But what I also read into this, and I, I think about this a lot, is Moses came before him, had these similar experiences, and now Elijah is going through these things as well. And that reminds me that a lot of times when we go through things in life, that we are not the first to go there that we are not the first to encounter these challenges, these issues of life, and that we can walk in the way of others if we're attentive, 
and really make our way through these things in life, right? This is a hard time for Elijah, but others have been there before. It's not the first powerful king and queen that have come along, right? Now, there's also this interesting exchange that happens twice, right? If we're paying attention to it, God or the, or the word of the Lord comes to Elijah twice. Elijah, what are you doing here? Verse 9 and verse 13. And it reminds me that whenever something appears more than once in Scripture, especially when it's poetic like that, that it's worth paying attention to. That when there's that repetition, there's something that the writer is trying to point out to us. What I think about this is that we'll see signs of the same things in our lives sometimes happen over and over again. That we'll get these glimpses and, and these things that we think God may be speaking to us and they'll happen over and over again. But these questions will often come to us, right? And I think this question comes to us in different seasons of our lives, whatever the question may be. In verse 9, he's running away. He's famished. And so the question comes to him at that season of his life. And then in verse 13, when he has his powerful encounter with God, the question again comes to him. Two different parts of his life. But the question still remains, right? And so I think these questions that God will put to us, it's not just a surface level, what are you doing here, Elijah? There's something behind the question. There's something that I think God wanted to unearth within Elijah. I think the first thing is, Elijah, why are you hungry? Why are you hungry? First uh, Kings 9, uh, 19 verse 7, again, it says, the angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, get up and eat, for the journey will be too much for you otherwise. There's really something important about taking care of ourselves. It's vital. It's really important that we talk about how we take care of ourselves. And that's, that's coming to the surface now a lot more these days when we talk about self-care and we talk about therapy and, and getting in community. These things really matter because for so long, many of us have not taken care of ourselves, right? Physically, emotionally, spiritually, all of these facets we have neglected to take care of ourselves. And we need to do these things because this journey of life is hard at times. The road sometimes is long. And if we do not do the things that sustain us, we're going to burn out in the process. So even if we think about emotional, uh, physically, right? How, how many of you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but have you ever worked through a day? Say you start work at nine, and then by two o'clock, you realize that you haven't eaten lunch. And then at five o'clock, you wonder, oh, God, where does headache come from? What's, have you eaten? How many times have we worked through our lunch hour just so that we could try to leave early? There's no security in leaving early, but we want to try anyway. And so we skip the very thing that we need to fuel us to carry on. What about even spiritually where um, I think a lot of times when we do these spiritual practices of prayer and scripture reading and gathering together for worship, sometimes we go to these things as a last-minute resort when things are going bad. But really, we should be doing these things on a consistent basis so that when the day comes, when trials come, we are equipped, we are prepared, we are ready as best as we can be for whatever comes our way in life. And so the word of the Lord says to Elijah, get up and eat, for the journey will be too long for you otherwise. And the second facet of what are you doing here, Elijah, that I think the word of the Lord is trying to say to him is, why are you running? 
What is the reason that you're running, the real reason? Now, remember, just before this flee away, right, he is trolling the prophets of Baal, and he is making fun of them. And now he's in this place where he's destitute, and he feels like, God, just take my life. It doesn't matter that I'm going to be here anymore. Elijah's name um, from, in the Hebrew means, my God is Yahweh. My God is Yahweh. So sometimes when we hear this passage, we hear the question, what are you doing here, Elijah? We may read it as, what are you doing here, Mr. My God is Yahweh, if you think you're so big and tough, right? But what I actually think how that question is coming to Elijah is, what are you doing here, Elijah? Do you not know who you are? Do you not know who you belong to? Do you not know who is the one that sustains you? And I think sometimes God has to call us by name, by our beloved name, to remind us of who we are and to do the deep work of understanding exactly what is happening within us. That's self-discovery, right? So we have to feed ourselves and nourish ourselves with the things that we need to carry on in the journey, but also do the deep work of understanding what is the real reason behind where I am right now, the frustration that I may be experiencing, the consternation, right? I think about a few years ago when I was in um, full-time youth ministry, and I took 10 of my high schoolers um, to Denver, Colorado. Um, We lived in Oklahoma City, so we had to drive from one city and one state to an entirely new state. I think it was like a 10-hour drive. So me and my co-leader are driving 10 teenagers all the way pretty much across the Midwest. And um, we get into Denver really safe. That was the last day. It was a good day. (laughs) Because everything that went wrong in my mind went wrong. Um, In the middle of the night, someone hit our bus on street parking, and it was a hit and run. So the police left us a little note saying, hey, you know, call us, we'll try to get this figured out. So I had to send my kids on a mission um, opportunity out in the community while I had to go and secure a new bus or make sure that everything was everything. By the way, full coverage insurance, chef's kiss. Like, I, I will never drive anything ever again without full coverage because it, it literally, I just gave them the keys. Um, and so I got this new van and um, we got back and I got to hang out with the kids for a little bit during the day. The next day, I was a little bit tired, so I asked my co-leader, hey, can you just drive for us today? Um, you know, I've been driving pretty much the entire week, and so she goes, um, yeah, sure. So we're pulling this corner, and she told me she was a little bit nervous about driving big vehicles, but I was like, ah, oh, you got it. We pulled this corner. I know, mistake number one. We pull this corner and there's a manhole that's sticking up or like a grill in the ground, like a sewage drain that's sticking up out of the ground and she hits it and the tire just busts, right? So we're pulling over again, right? And um, we all get out of the bus. I say, okay, guys, y'all just go ahead, go and um, do your service project for the day. I'm just going to call AAA and get it figured out. As I'm waiting outside and I'm trying to find the tools to change the tire, it starts to rain. <laughs> So I'm sitting out here in the rain. I'm just like, let me just go back in the bus. And I'm just so tired, right? So AAA comes four hours later. And I had to go and pick up the kids. I'm like, okay, guys, did you have fun today? Great, all right, I'm tired, let's go. 
Um, and then in the midst of all of that, you have teenagers that you're dealing with, right? Like, love teenagers, but sometimes they're just, they're just, I mean. <sighs> so in the midst of all of that, I just had so much stress and so much pressure during that week, but nobody knew. I just kind of hid that and bottled it up, and every day when I, we would settle down, I'd just be like, hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> You know, and then in the morning, I would try to pep myself up by just doing devotions and, you know, getting myself ready for the day, which, thank God, <laughs> I did that. Um, but we, we had a, looking back on it, it was a fruitful time. But in the moment, I wasn't, I wasn't quite there. Um, I wasn't attentive to what was happening. And so we get back um, to Oklahoma City, and a friend of mine, Ali, she says, how was the trip? Was the trip going great? I know you spent a lot of time planning it. Was it fun? And before I could even get a word out of my mouth, I just busted out crying. And she was just like, oh my gosh. I was like, I, I felt like it was a horrible week. Like everything that could go wrong went wrong. The kids were complaining. It was this and that and the next thing. And then I had lunch with my co-leader, I think a few days after we got back. And I said, hey, I really want to talk about the week that happened and just let you know, you know what's on my heart. And again, I just, I just was a mess talking to her because I had bottled all of that for, for so long. And she was like, both her and Ali really asked me, how did you get here? What happened? It seemed like everything was okay. You were posting pictures on social media and everything seemed fine, which is always a delusion, right? When I realized I was masking what was going on, and they had to put that question to me to say, what are you doing here? How did you get to this point? And I realized that throughout that week, I wasn't being honest enough with my students and my co-leader. I wasn't taking care of myself. I was going to sleep really late, stressed out about worrying about how to keep these kids safe out of an entirely new city, right? There was so much that I had unresolved that I didn't deal with during that week that I bottled it up, I masked it, and it came out. And they challenged me, Keith, from here on, you have to take care of yourself. One, because when you burn out, they're going to find somebody to put in your place. But two, God is calling you to a long work of ministry, and you have to sustain yourself the best way you can. And I think Elijah came to this point as well after he had this encounter with God, this powerful encounter and this, this experience, right, of sheer silence, of having to hear what was going on in his heart and his mind. And so the word of the Lord doesn't just come to him and say, listen, get up and eat and you'll be fine. The word of the Lord gets to him and it gives him a challenge, right? So we look at 1 Kings 19 verses 15 to 16. The passage goes on to say, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go, return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. And also you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, as prophet in your place. Now, God gives Elijah specific tasks and instructions to carry out, to lean into the problems at hand. Right, particularly as it related to the justice, the injustice that was happening in Israel under Ahab and Jezebel, right? And so this is a reminder for us that we take care of ourselves, we eat, we do the things that are fruitful for our lives, not just for our sake. 
But we do this so that we may go out into the, ministry, go out into the world and be in ministry. And, and we'll encounter this again when, uh, and when we take communion. Every week when we take communion, we receive the body and blood of Christ so that we may be the body of Christ for the world. And it also is a reminder here, this instruction to go that Elisha is given by God. It's this idea that even in your frustration, even in all the chaos that's going on, this is not the end. There is more. There is more that God has for you. There is more that God has for God's people. And so as I prepare to close, I just want you wherever you are, wherever you're watching online, here in the room, just make yourself comfortable and, and place your hands open up to the sky like this on your lap. Or if you want to raise it, it's fine. I just want you to close your eyes for a moment. And I, I want you to consider three questions. Where am I? Not just location, but where am I in my faith? my relationship with God, and my relationship with others. Be honest with yourself. Ask yourself if you are honest with yourself. Where am I? Am I caring for myself? Am I doing the things that are life-giving? Am I, do the, am I doing the things that are spiritually nourishing? Am I running from what God has called me to do? Am I ignoring the stirrings within my heart? The things that bother me when I look at the injustices in the world and everything that is wrong? Am I running away from doing something that God just may have for me to do? Where am I? Am I caring for myself? Am I running from God? You can open your eyes. There's this Austrian poet in the late 1800s, early 1900s, Rainer Maria Rilke. And there was a cadet, a military cadet, who was writing to him as a poet saying, listen, I, I don't know what's going to happen next if I want to continue in the military, if I want to continue in poetry. And he was struggling to really see if his work was really worth anything. And so he wrote to Rilke and he, and he said, can you take a look at this stuff? And throughout this collection of writings that this cadet composed and called... Um, letters to a poet, we see that Rilke was saying to him, listen, um, don't just focus on the craft because character is just as important as the craft. So look within. And this is what Rilke says, uh, writes to this cadet. He says, have patience with everything unresolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves as if they were locked rooms or books written in a very foreign language. Do not search for the answers, 
which could be given to you now because you would, which could not be given to you now because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps then, someday, far in the future, you will gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. May we live our way into the beauty and mystery of what God may ask. Let's pray. Holy God, as we come now to your table, which it is your table, it does not belong to us, we get up from wherever we are and we eat to nourish ourselves, to nourish our souls for the journey that is ahead. We come to this table to be still and know that you are God. And as we have received today at this table, so shall we give for the sake of the world. Forgive us our sins, Lord. May you purify our hearts and our minds before we even approach your table. And may you remind us that we are all welcome at this table. That it is because of your grace, your mercy, that we are able to share in this meal. God, we thank you for the story of Elijah. And we thank you for the story that is being written in our lives. May we listen to what it is that you may ask of us this day and the rest of our days. In Jesus' name, amen.